Well, again, good morning, City Church. Let's try that again. Good morning, City Church. So glad that you're here. And this morning, as we step into our time for the sermon, just wanted to share again that we are in the midst of a sermon series that's entitled Covered. Covered. It has the idea of a God who begins literally in the Garden of Eden being a God who covers us, a God who provides for us, a God who protects, guides, directs, but also a God who convicts, a God who calls us to holiness, a God who intervenes in our lives. And so this sermon series has been all about covered. This morning, I would like to bring to us a concept in the Newer Testament that's called adoption. Adoption. As we think about being covered, adoption is one of the most profound concepts in current reality of what it means to cover someone. And so what I'm going to ask that you would do at this moment is if you think of someone who's been, been affected by adoption that you know of. I want you to take just a moment. Can you think of, or I'd like you to think of someone who you know who has been affected by adoption? Take just a moment. Think about it. How many of you here can think of someone? It's pretty much 100%. What I think is important to understand with the whole idea of adoption is that in our culture, it's a way even with people here at City, we've got a good number of people here at City who in following Jesus and serving others have put feet to their faith, and they have felt called to adoption. As a matter of fact, this week I met with a guy here at City who's a friend of mine. We met at a coffee shop, and he and his wife some years back felt called of God to adopt some children, and they did. Last night, I was actually at a birthday party for a friend of mine here through City who turned 80 years old. My wife and I were privileged to be at a restaurant, part of their celebration. There I was in this room that's kind of walled off, and I was looking through the window, and I saw a couple from City who have as they have followed Jesus and felt called to serve others, they too have put feet to their faith. And they adopted two children. And so what I know is, is that this is something that is very near and dear to our hearts. That adoption and being covered through adoption is a very real thing. Now I do want to say this, that adoption's near to my heart. I'm adopted. So is my older brother, Scott, although he and I are not naturally connected. My oldest brother, Fred, is natural to my parents. So I am intimately familiar with adoption. I think it's a good thing. But you see, adoption in our culture involves when there is a child like I was who is in a context, in an environment that is not favorable. A decision is made where a child is, usually a child, is put up for adoption, usually a small child, is put up for adoption, and then another family 
makes that consideration and then determines that they would like to be part of taking a child out of an unfavorable environment and moving them towards a favorable one. That is our view of adoption. It's a good one. You know what's interesting? In the Older Testament, two people who stand out particularly as people who were adopted. There was Moses. You see, Moses lived at a time where if you were Jewish and you were underneath Pharaoh, you had to die. All the male children were supposed to be put to death. But Moses' parents defied the king's decree. They, in faith, stepped out. They put Moses in a little reed boat and set him adrift in the Nile River. Interestingly enough, Pharaoh's daughter was a little bit downstream, discovered Moses in a basket, and she took him home, and she adopted him. By the way, she is the one that named him Moses. There's also a lady in the Older Testament. Her name was Esther. She has a book named after her. As a matter of fact, one of the life groups here at City, they are currently studying the book of Esther. Esther was someone whose parents died, and her uncle Mordecai adopted her. But here's what's fascinating. There is very little in the Older Testament about adoption. And as we move towards the Newer Testament, adoption becomes something that God uses. And so what I want us to do is we think about being covered, and we think about adoption, I would like for us to read the following scripture taken from the book of Romans in verse 8. Now, those verses will be up on the big screen, but I came across an adoption story that fascinated me. I want to read it to you. There was a man that is very famous in the United States of America. He was born as Leslie Lynch King Jr. When he died, it made headlines all over the world, and every flag in the United States of America was lowered to half-mast. You see, that's what happens every single time a president of the United States of America dies. By the way, that happened in his honor in January of 2007. But who was President Leslie King Jr.? You see, you can't find any record of this man as having occupied any place in American history, let alone someone who stepped into the White House. You see, he was a man whose political career was guided by his solid Midwestern values, and he was known for that. Leslie Lynch King Jr. was born on Monday, July 14th, in 1913 in Omaha, Nebraska. His parents separated 16 days after his birth, and they were divorced the following December. According to press reports, his father was abusive and had a drinking problem, and his mother, as she processed through the divorce, moved back to her parents' house in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Later on, she married a paint salesman. This paint salesman adopted Leslie Lynch King Jr. This paint salesman's name was Gerald Ford. He named his son after him. 
You see, Leslie Lynch King Jr. became Gerald Ford, and he became the 38th president of the United States of America. You see, in our minds, adoption is all about taking an infant or a small child out of an unfavorable environment and moving them towards a more favorable one. Now we pick up our reading, Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Here's what the Bible says. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive, in other words, when you say yes to Jesus, the Bible's absolutely clear that when we open up our hearts by faith to Christ, that we literally receive the Holy Spirit in us. Paul positions it this way. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father, which is a Hebrew look at God in the way of deep affection, where you are declaring God as my Father, Abba, Father. Reading on, it says, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. You see, what happens in the Newer Testament is profound. In the Newer Testament, the Apostle Paul looks at God and what He does for us, and he positions adoption as a way that God covers us. So here's another, here's another way of translating the verses that we just read. Romans 8, 15. When you say yes to Jesus, you did not receive a spirit of slavery resulting in fear. But you received the spirit of adoption who places you as adult children, co-heirs with Christ, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You see, if you were to take what we read in the book of Romans, this is another safe way you could translate those verses. That through the spirit of adoption, God draws us to himself not to be filled with fear, but that we would be considered sons and daughters of God and co-heirs with Christ. But here's what we need to know when we think about covering through adoption. Adoption at the time of Jesus and the time of the Apostle Paul is completely different than modern-day adoption. It's not even close. You see, the type of adoption that took place during the time of Jesus, is one that was filled with strategic thinking. As a matter of fact, the Greek word for the Greek word for adoption literally means to place a son. That's what the word adoption means. It's two Greek words that when you put it together, it's a word that speaks of very strategically you place a son in a specific place. Isn't that fascinating? You see, in our culture, adoption takes an infant from somewhere that's unfavorable 
to an environment that's favorable. That is not the concept of adoption in the Newer Testament. Adoption in the Newer Testament goes back to the literal translation of the word that says to place a son. Ladies, during the time of Jesus, ladies being adopted was extremely rare in Roman culture, if not at all. It were sons that were placed. Sons were the ones that were adopted. You might find this fascinating, but here are some people in Roman culture that you've heard of in your fifth grade history class, if your memory can reach that far back. Caesar Augustus was adopted. Tiberius, Germanicus, Gaius, Caligula, Nero, Pliny the Younger, Trajan, Hadrian, Antonius Pius, Marcus Aurelius, and Constantinus I. All of these Roman emperors were adopted, every one of them. This ought to be a hint as to what adoption is about during the time of the writing of the book of Romans and the time of Jesus. You see, during the time of the Apostle Paul, in Rome... Julius, or I should say Caesar Augustus, became the one that brought the Roman Empire together. Now, interestingly enough, he was adopted. When his reign came to an end, he had adopted Tiberius. And Tiberius became the emperor of Rome. You see, in the Roman Empire, how you sustain power and authority was you adopted grown men. Wives, how many of you would like to adopt out your husband? <laughs> Better yet, how many of us parents have grown children? Better yet, grown sons, and you're thinking, I would adopt them out just as they go to college. Let someone else pay the bills for four years, and then I'd bring them back again. Listen, that is exactly what adoption was used for during this time in the Roman world. Sons of older age were adopted out to powerful families. Here's why. If you were a powerful Roman family, you could not pass your authority down through girls. You could not, you could not pass your authority down through daughters. And if you had a son that was a son that you did not want to rule and reign after you, you would adopt an adult son. Isn't that amazing? And so all of these Roman emperor, emperors are people that were adopted for the express purpose of the person in power wanting to make sure that their authority and their power was passed down beyond their life to a son. Now, here's literally how it worked. If you had an adult son who was achieving well and doing well, one of the power families could approach you and say, we'd like to adopt your son. So what would end up happening is the father that was giving up his son would go into a public place. And in that public place, there would be a scale set up and payment would be made. The first time he would announce that he was releasing his son. And in the moment of that, he would put his son forward, 
But then what he would end up doing was taking payment from the power family, and then the son would move a little bit away. When that ceremony happened, it would happen three times. And each time the son moved away, the father would give the payment back and would receive his son back. Interestingly enough, at the third enaction of this ceremony, the Roman father would no longer take back the, or give the money back. He would actually keep it. He would take payment for his son. And in that moment, his son became the legal son of another family. This, by the way, would be taken before the courts and would be legally cleared with seven witnesses. When those seven witnesses were done observing this, it was law. That adult son was no longer legally belonging to that father. He would now have a new father until the day he died. What we also know is that by the time of the Apostle Paul, what then would happen is the adopting father would take his adopted son and they would go and make a sacrifice together. They would take a large animal and they would slaughter that animal and together they would make that sacrifice and they would apply blood to their relationship and then they would consume the large animal. That's how adoption worked during the time of the Apostle Paul. Now let's go back to our verse. Here's what Scripture tells us. That you did not receive a spirit resulting in fear, but you received the spirit of adoption who places you as adult children, co-heirs with Christ, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. What we must understand is that at the time of Jesus, there was something that was very different about adoption than there was today. The Apostle Paul works with this. What he is saying is this, that when the spirit of adoption comes on your life, when you say yes to Jesus and the Holy Spirit now dwells in you, that the Spirit of God literally brings you through that process of adoption and brings you legally into Christ's family with God as your Father. It's not about a bad environment, you moving towards a good one. No, it's about God the Father looking at you and me and wanting to give us his authority and give us his power so that his rule and reign in this world will continue. That's what it's about. And when we look at this, it becomes very important that we would understand that in Roman culture, you simply cannot adopt a slave. It was illegal. And there were times where wealthy families who did not have sons would determine that they would like to adopt a slave. And so what they would do is, they would take the slave and pay for his freedom. After his freedom was paid for, he would then be taken into Roman society and literally made a citizen of Rome. Because you see, by law, you can only adopt a Roman citizen. And so what that adoptive father would do is he would pay the price so that that slave would no longer be a slave, would move him towards citizenship in the Roman Empire, 
And once that was happened, he would go through the adoption ceremony that I repeated earlier. You see, here's what we need to understand is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God takes us from being slaves and through what Jesus has done for us, he removes us from the slave market of sin and brings us into citizenship in heaven. And then the Spirit of God, when we say yes to Jesus, moves in our lives and through our lives, even as adults, and makes us now part of the family of God where God is my Father, and as we just read, you become a co-heir with Christ. So in other words, whatever God gives to Christ, you get. You become a legal son, and oh, by the way, here's what Paul says, also a legally adopted daughter that you become co-heirs with Christ. Whatever God gives to Jesus, you get. And here's why that is so important. Here's why. In Roman culture, your life, it was not important to look back and determine where you were born or who you were born with. You see, in Roman culture, everything was about who you are and looking forward to your inheritance. So if I were a wealthy Roman man and I only had daughters, I would adopt a grown man who would become my heir and would receive my full inheritance. So how many of us sitting here as grown men would love to be adopted and receive the full inheritance that now is available to someone else? Please understand what is so important is that in Roman culture, adoption was about looking forward and inheritance and who would be your heir. Here's what Paul says, that in through the spirit of adoption, through saying yes to Jesus, you and I become co-heirs with Christ. But I want you to notice one other thing. Paul announces Through Christ, we are no longer a slave that has fear. You see, you and I were enslaved to sin, which meant we knew that God is holy and righteous. And when I move towards God, there's fear in my soul. What Paul announced in that verse in Romans chapter 8 was this, is that we are no longer a slave to fear, but instead you and I are now children of God. Here's the word for fear. In in the Newer Testament, it's the the word phobos. It's where we get the word phobia from. And if you were to translate it in the Newer Testament, that word fear is, or phobos is translated fear, terror, alarm. The object that causes fear, withdraw, fleeing because of feeling inadequate. So because of what Jesus has done for you and me, Because of what the Spirit of God does, you and I no longer have to be racked with fear, but instead we recognize we are co-heir with Christ, and everything that God gives Jesus, he gives to me. I'm his co-heir. But here's what I know. 
verse that we read, it talked about God as Abba, Father. I know some of us sitting here, when we think about God being our Father, we cringe. Because our earthly Father was not what we had wished or hoped that our earthly Father would be. Now, let me be candid. I'm a parent. There are times of parenting that I would do anything to take back and live over. I would. There is no perfect father. There are some that are worse than others. I'm well aware of this. But here's what I want to say so clearly. There is a move afoot in biblical studies where God would no longer be called father but be called something else. And the reason why is, is because what I've just referenced, people that when they think about Father, recoil instead of moving forward. And the Apostle Paul says, to a spirit of adoption, we cry out with joy, my dad, my father, Abba, father. Wouldn't it be a better way to approach this, to come to the spirit of adoption and say, Holy Spirit, my life with my father or with some other man was not what I had wished it would be. Spirit of adoption, Holy Spirit that adopts me, would you please heal my soul? Would you be the God that literally transforms my heart? And now I want to talk to the college students that are here. I have never met a college student who did not go off to a university that did not begin to think through their family. Never met one. When you finally have that freedom and you get out from underneath mom and dad's roof, you get to go somewhere, and what ends up happening is you sit in your dorm or you're part of a team and people begin to talk about their upbringing. You're not only looking at your own faith and what you're going to do with faith, but you begin to look at your family. And here's what I want to say. The adversary of your soul will do whatever he can to turn you against your parents. There are no perfect parents. Never have been, never will be. But there is a spirit of adoption that comes from God's own throne that can come inside of your heart and teach you how to forgive. Teach you how to release that anger and bitterness and give it to God. I want to encourage you with that because I've watched in 30 years of dealing with college students, many get out from underneath their mom and dad's roof. And yes, they're moving towards God, but the thought of being able to process through in a healthy way and come to a healthy place whereby that student can lift their hands to a God and declare, Abba, Father, is a huge step. But what I know is that the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption, can get you there. Please know this, that the Bible says, we are no longer a slave to fear. You are a child of God. Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. Now when we look at this, how do we put feet to our Putting feet to our faith involves us opening up our hearts to God. 
So now I'm going to ask that Carrie Cyphers would join me, and she's going to share her God story of how she came to grips with God being her father. Let's give Carrie a warm welcome as she comes. She said, these chairs are not for short people. Stephen, can we get a microphone for Carrie? Thank you. Everyone say, good morning, Carrie. So, Carrie uh, is a young lady that I've gotten to know here at City. You may not know this, but the way we write our sermons, the way I write my sermons, is that on Tuesday, I meet with a group of people that help me process through my messages. And I met Carrie, she's a PhD student in religion at the University of Virginia, she's been a faithful part of City, and I asked that she would be part of that team that helps me process through the messages. Well, we sat down on Tuesday, and we began to process through this whole idea of what Roman adoption really is, and allowing the spirit of adoption to bring us to the place where we can truly be freed up to worship God as our Father. And as we were processing through that as a team, she began to share a little bit about your own experience in your life about coming to terms with God as your father. So could you share a little bit with your church family about that experience? Sure. Um, so when I was seven years old, uh, my, my father, my earthly father, died suddenly of a heart attack uh, at age 48. And um, so I grew up, I mean, it just shattered my family. Um, and really, I, I lost my father, but I also, even though my mother was physically present, Due to grief for about 12 to 15 years, I lost my mother too. Um, she really wasn't present. Um, and I didn't know how to deal with that as a seven-year-old going into uh, a young teen. And by the time of age 14, I was deep um, in the dregs of an eating disorder, um, completely overcome by something that I took on myself um, as a way of controlling, because when you're so covered with fear, you seek to have one thing in your life that you can control. And so my weight and food was something that I thought that I could, um, and then that took control of me. Um, and it was when I was 14 that, um, that a friend had invited me to a youth group event, and I first heard the gospel. And I don't remember honestly a lot about that time in my life, but I do remember that the gospel was presented to me as God the Father sending Jesus to us so that Father God could have relationship with his children and to bring us into his family as adopted children. And it hit me like an arrow to the heart. Um, and I was, I was all in, um, obviously. And uh, Immediately in that encounter with God and that yes to Jesus, um, I was completely delivered from anorexia, which I was living in. I mean, just immediately, miraculously. Wow. Um, but <laughs> uh, but that it, I wasn't immediately healed. Um, that was more of a process. So I was still uh, 
I was still given to compulsive behaviors and really bad decisions all into my 20s. Um, but, it was, but it was my relationship with God as my father that met me after every mistake, that met me after every challenge, um, that even through that began to really heal me. Um, I, was told, I was told in my teens that this is something you'll just never get over. Like you'll never, um, you'll never be healed. And I, I really thought that. I really thought I just have to learn how to like limp through life. Um, wow. But it was, in, it was in my 20s that um, I actually was volunteering with an addictions counselor in the inner city of Chicago. And uh, she dealt with women coming out of homelessness and coming out of um, prostitution and coming out of um, really terrible situations and also addictions um, to substances and all kinds of stuff. And I met glowing women after glowing women um, through that who were so in love with Jesus and I got to hear their stories of how living with God um, and their relationship with him, they had been completely set free from these terrible wow. situations, from these terrible addictions. Um, they were these joyful women, and it gave me the faith, because I was still really struggling then, but it gave me the faith um, to believe that I could have that too. And so it was through that increase of faith that I... Um, yeah, I guess it was through really encounters, encounters with God in worship. Um, you know, when we worship, uh, the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people, and yes. he really does. And so I began to just encounter God uh, through worship and through prayer and through reading his word. Um, his word says, you know, he's a father to the fatherless a defender of widows, a restorer of the fatherless. I forget which psalm that one's in, but um, that he restores. And as I just began to read his word, he would speak to me about my identity. And that's something that a father does. You know, that's something that's that I, I was so blessed in college to live with these amazing Christian women um, who really inspired me. But all of them had grown up in Christian households, and they were all, like, shiny and beautiful. And I was like, you guys are awesome, but I'm a mess. And uh, through, you know, getting out of college, like meeting God in prayer, meeting God in his word, he's like, that's, you get to be my child. Like, that's who I'm making you to be. You can be whole and shiny too, you know? Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about your current situation of life? Um, I'm happily married to that curly-haired man over there. Um, who also has an awesome redemptive story of God as his father. Um, and, yeah, I'm teaching. Well, I guess, I guess it was in, so we'll backtrack to you here. What do we do? Um, I guess it was in, <laughs> hi, this is me. Um, <laughs> it, so in that, you know, 20, early 20s or so, I would just, you know, falling in love with God, experiencing his love, and then we fall in love with him, and it just was like a cycle. And I was like, God, I don't know what to do. I'm really nerdy, and I like words, and I like your Bible, and I want to do something with it. And it was God who inspired me to go back to school, something that I never thought that I'd do, um, to teach the Bible um, in college settings where people of all backgrounds and faith will encounter his word. Um, yeah, so that's what I'm doing. So she, in, she applies to come to the Ph.D. program at the University of Virginia in religion. And how many students a year do they take into that Ph.D. program? Um, my year, they took one. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So I want to say this. God is our Father is a very important thing. Doesn't matter if you're a man that's my age, you're 54 or older, or you're a college student or a high school student or wherever you're at. God's a God who covers us through adoption. And when he does, we are no longer a slave to fear, but we truly are a child of God. Would you stand with me and let's worship together. Thank you, Carrie. From my mother's womb. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again into your family. Your blood flows through my I'm no longer a slave to fear, for I am a child of God. And I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God. I'm no
Can we close our eyes for a moment? I feel so led this morning as we conclude our service. Whether you're preteen, teenagers, 20s, college, all the way up to senior years of life. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption. That spirit has been sent by God to bring us into the authority of God's family. His passion is that as our king, as our emperor, that his power and authority would be in and through your life as well. You are adopted into the family of God, men and women. But what I've sensed this morning is that some of us are still a slave to fear. Phobos, phobia, feeling like we're unworthy, feeling as though somehow we are not worthy of what we've talked about this morning. I know that the Spirit of God can heal your heart today, that you no longer have to live as a slave to fear. You've been bought with a price. You've been freed up. You've been adopted into the family of God. If you're wrestling with fear this morning, if you're struggling with phobia, with phobos, I want to encourage you to take a step of faith. We don't always do this at City, but I, can, I feel compelled to do it this morning. If you are struggling with fear, you would got, like God to touch your heart and touch your life. I want you to take a step of boldness against the one who tries to fill you with fear. And if you would step out and come forward, we're going to pray a blessing over you. If you are struggling with fear, I'm going to ask that you would face that fear through faith and through a spirit of adoption. And you would step out and you would come forward for prayer. We're going to take a moment. Is there anyone else that needs to step out and come forward? Now's the time for the church family to begin to pray. I believe that there are others who you know your life is filled with fear. And I invite you to come forward for prayer. Now I'm going to ask that those that lead life groups, those who are part of the prayer team, I want you to come and stand behind every one of these people. Please lay a hand on them. We're going to pray that the spirit of adoption would begin to overcome the spirit of fear.
if you are up front and you've come forward for prayer, I'd like you to stick your hands out in front of you with your palms up as a, as a sign of surrender and receptivity to God. Kind of lift your hands out in front of you. And there's no pun intended in this next statement. But if you were too afraid to come forward to be prayed for with your fears, I want you to do the same right where you're standing. Just kind of lift your hands up in front of you as a sign of your receptivity to God. Jesus, we come to you now in a world that is filled with fear. But we believe that we are children of the living God. That we have a Father who has sent a Spirit into this world to draw us to Him. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that the spirit of adoption would begin to touch the hearts and the lives of men and women who are racked with fear. God, we ask that in this moment that the spirit of the living God would begin to rise up within them and the spirit of fear would be cast down in the name of Jesus. That there would be a sense of your peace and your hope and your strength and that those people that know that they fear less than and unworthy and outside of your grace would in this moment be filled with the spirit of adoption. God, I am grateful for what adoption means in Scripture. That it is about our Heavenly Father bringing us into the family so that His power and His authority can rule and reign in us and through us. That we all now stand as co-heirs with Christ. That everything that is bequeathed to Jesus, we are heirs of as well. And now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May God turn, may our Heavenly Father turn His face towards you with a spirit of adoption. And may that spirit, dear God, give us your peace. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I want to invite all of us to stay in worship if you would like to. If you would want to slip out, you can slip out quietly. In Jesus' name, amen.
God, you are good, you are faithful, we know that your promises hold fast, God. From generation from generation, God, you are our Father, you are our sustainer, and our Redeemer, Lord. All faith is in you, all hope and trust, God, goes to you alone. I pray that even throughout this week, God, you continue to heal the burdens that people have held. God, just give us greater freedom, allow us to walk in you even more faithfully, God, just as you are faithful to us. God, you are good, and let us walk with that promise. You are good. You are good. God, let that be our reminder. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all have a great week.